So the agenda for today will be, first we're going to do this review of chemistry in the first hour. And then in the second hour and in the lab time, uh, we're going to do the overview of organs and systems. And we're going to study the torso model following the activities of the lab manual. And we're going to do dissection today, dissection of a rat. So every table will have a rat and we'll do dissection, opening the cavities, thoracic cavity, abdominal cavity, and have an overview of the organs, which are very similar to the human body. And that's the reason why we use rats. And after that, uh, we'll um, answer some questions probably and during the activities and that will be the agenda for today. This lecture is posted on the website, so you can get it. If you did it, good. If not, you can get it later. So first, chemistry is really important, really important to understand the physiology. Physiology of the body, of the human body, involves chemical reactions. And therefore, all the body, all parts of our body, metabolism, we call it, is full chemical reactions. And the structure, the structure of the body is all chemicals. Digestion, movement of the muscles, the heart pumping, the nervous system, everything includes chemistry. Just to give you a few examples of what we will study later is if we talk about nervous system, when we get to the part of nervous system physiology, we will speak about electrical impulse, and that's the way that the neurons communicate to each other. The electrical impulse is small amount of electricity generated at the membrane of the cell, the neuron. How this happens? By the movement of molecules, sodium, potassium. So we need to know what sodium is, what potassium is, what are the chemical properties, what is the electrical charge they have? What is the atomic number, atomic weight, mass number? So there are a list. There's a list of chemical um, uh, components or compounds that we will use a lot. If you see the periodic table of elements, you see a lot of elements. But you will notice that we will use few of them. And after using them in our study of the physiology, you will notice sodium, potassium, calcium, magnesium and organic molecules like glucose, carbohydrates. So we'll go over all these um, uh, molecules in this part. So the chemistry is divided in basic and biochemistry. We can call inorganic chemistry, organic chemistry. And the special part that interests us is biochemistry because it's a chemistry that is applied to biological systems, biological organisms. And it follows specific rules and laws. First, there are organic compounds, which are chemical substances or chemical elements that exist in biological organisms and follow certain rules, so we will see. Starting with the first, the basic, the basic of the basic, the concept of matter and energy self-explanatory, everything, anything that we can detect with our senses is a matter. You can see it, you can smell it, you can feel it, you can touch it. You have physical evidence of existence, doesn't matter. Everything. And anything that has, anything that is matter, it has a weight. Difference between weight and mass, where the weight is given by the gravity. Probably have heard that the gravity is different depending on the planet, and there are forces that are different here on Earth than in the moon, for instance. But the moon, I think, it's like the eighth or the ninth part of the gravity here. So things are much lighter in the moon than in the, than on Earth but they have the same mass. If you jump in the moon, you will jump like many meters. Because the same mass of the body, but it has different weight. The weight is given by the gravity. The gravity is very important. Sometimes we just give it for granted, take it for granted. 
the gravity, but thanks to the gravity, the many chemical reactions and many physiological uh, mechanisms will work. I'll give you an example. People that have heart disease, problems in the heart, uh, like chronic hypertension, high blood pressure, that's some type of malfunction in the heart, some of them, they are not able to sleep completely horizontal. They, they need some pillows. They need to sit up. And some of them, they spend the night awake or just with pillows. They cannot stand that position, the horizontal position. Why is that? Because the lungs, which work to get the oxygen from the air, the lungs have blood inside. That's how the oxygen gets into the blood. The blood circulates around the lungs and get the air that we breathe. Well, these people have the heart malfunctioning, and so the blood is in excessive amount in the lung. It's taking its time because it's, the heart is not able to pump. And the gravity is determinant here. Why? If we see, we would see, we'll be able to see our lungs right now and how the blood is circulating in our lungs. There will be more blood in the base of the lung, in the bottom part of the lung, than in the top part of the lung. Why? Because of the gravity. The gravity is pulling everything down and also the blood. There's more blood in the base of our lungs than the apex of our lungs. If we lay down horizontal, now the thing is different. I'll give you an idea in a, in a graph. You have the lungs like this. Standing, there will be more blood in the base than in the apex. But if you lay down horizontal, your lungs will be like this, something like this. And now there will be more blood in this way. Like that, just because of the effect of the gravity. And that is really important. People with heart disease, they stand this position better than this one because when they get to this point, more blood will be like this. There will be just this part for exchange of gases and therefore they cannot stand to put that position. If these people go to the moon, they will be much better. The gravity is less. But we cannot send people with heart disease to the moon yet. So that's one example of the importance of gravity. Things that we take for granted, but they're really important for the physiology. The movement of the muscles, the joints, the weight of our body is crucial, especially after many years with the aging process. Uh, there was a time that I saw this documentary um, in, on the TV that they made this experiment. They simulated what it's like to get older, and um, they what they did was to create a type of armor uh, or a costume that was very rigid, and they asked a young person, okay, put, put this on and walk. And of course, it was very hard to walk. And then they told, well, this is the way that you will feel when you, get, when you turn 80 years old and your joints are worn out, you have osteoporosis, your muscles get in the trophic and everything. And all that because of the effect of the gravity. We have the same mass, but the weight will be different, plus the worn out effect of the tissues of our body. Different states of matter are important to remember because solid, we will have bones for instance, liquids, blood, gas, air going into our lungs. So all the states of matter will be present in our body. And some of them, they interact. The gas will be dissolved in the blood. Like when we breathe the oxygen, the oxygen will get dissolved in our blood. And from there, the cells will take it. Different chemical substances that we eat, for instance, a solid, they will turn into liquid. There are different gases in our body that are dissolved, again, in the plasma, not only oxygen. The matter is linked to the concept of energy. Energy 
is defined as any is the capacity to do some work. Matter is in motion thanks to the application of some type of energy. Energy does not have a mass, but it may be contained in the mass, in the matter. It doesn't take up space, but it's something real. It's something that we can uh, detect, we can measure. And more energy we have, more work that we can do. This is basic concept of energy that is applied to biological systems because work we have to do, well, the most simple thing is we have to move our muscles. Yeah. But there is movement inside the cells. Chemical compounds will go from the nucleus to the cytoplasm, from the cytoplasm to the outside, and then will come back or some others will come in. All this movement has to be determined by energy. Two types of energy to mention, kinetic and potential energy. And we have this graph to um, illustrate what it means, kinetic energy and potential energy, what are the differences, how they relate to each other. Example of this car, uphill, on top of the hill, it has high potential energy and low kinetic energy because it's not rolling yet. But the fact that it's a certain altitude, the car has a mass and it's attracted by the gravity, that will give some energy that is stored. That's what we call potential energy. Let it go and that car will go down, roll down, and at the end, when it gets to the bottom, there's no, no more potential energy. That energy has been used to move the cart. And at that point, we have maximum kinetic energy. The car is rolling with certain speed. Until we go again to a small hill, where again, depending on how high that hill is, we would have more or less potential energy again. But it's stopped. So the kinetic energy is determined by the mass of the, of the object, in this case a car plus the people inside, and the effect of gravity of different heights. So we can see that the energy can be transformed. That's one of the basic principles. Energy is not created or destroyed, it's just transformed from potential energy to kinetic energy. And that energy that is stored is released. When it's released, some action will follow. We can apply this to chemistry. We have energy stored in our body, in our cells. We will study later that one of the molecules that stores energy is called ATP adenosine triphosphate. This is like cash that we have in our body. Energy, ATPs. When the ATP, which stands for adenosine triphosphate, is broken down into adenosine diphosphate plus one phosphate, there's a chemical bond breaking. And that break of that chemical bond will release energy. So the chemical, the chemistry, uh, the chemicals store energy. Some chemicals store energy. When it is released, that energy can be used. Used for what? When we eat carbohydrates. Carbohydrates, glue, I mean, any sweet, like a cake or a candy or a chocolate. What is a long chain of units of glucose? In order to use those glucose molecules, we have to break down that long molecule. How we break down the chemical bonds? Using energy. Where we take it from? From ATPs. So we break down ATPs, use that energy to break down other molecules, or perhaps to produce new molecules. So that's how we, that's the reason why we study this concept of energy, in terms of potential and kinetic. Potential stored energy. 
that can be used and whenever it's released. Now, there is no system, and this um, uh, question about energy and matter, this is a study further in physics and biochemistry under the thermodynamics. Thermodynamics. What is thermodynamics? Uh, at some point, it gets a little complicated because the application of some concepts and formulas and mathematical formulas. But it's in its more basic principles of thermodynamics is that discipline that help us to understand some things. Like, for instance, when we exercise, when we exercise, we exercise, we use lots of energy to move the muscles. Energy, where we take the energy from? Well, ATPs. We have ATPs in our muscles. We use that energy to make the muscles move. But what else? We use that energy to make the muscles move. And what else happens when we exercise? We start sweating. Why we start sweating? To get cooler. To get cooler, yeah. Why? Because body temperature is changing. You're increasing your body temperature. Your body temperature is increasing when you exercise. And your body has to adjust that homeostasis. Start sweating. But why we increase our body temperature? To keep the balance, but where that temperature comes from, and how come, why, why we increase the temperature? It's heat, right? It's heat. That heat is coming from energy that is being used. So what I mean is, we use energy to move the muscles. And let's say if you have 100 units of energy, ATPs, just units, and you move the muscles, you use it to move the muscles, you're not gonna use 100 for moving the muscles. You probably will use 80 to move the muscles. And what's the difference? The 20, where it goes, is released as heat, is transformed into heat. So the use of the energy is not 100%. There's always some portion of the energy that is released as heat. And when we exercise, some energy is released as heat and increases the body temperature. And we start sweating to bring it back to balance. There are people that exercise like a, in a very sunny day, hot day, at noon, which is the worst time to exercise, they start running. And they get what we call heat stroke or heat exhaustion. Sometimes, usually in the summer, we hear uh, in the news that uh, some kids were playing soccer or whichever sport, and all of a sudden one of them collapsed and was taken to the emergency. That's heat stroke. Why? Because the body's increasing the temperature, plus the temperature outside. There's no way that the body can adjust the temperature. And the temperature keeps rising and rising and rising until it gets to very dangerous levels. So see how all these concepts starts taking or, or, or starts having meaning when, when we analyze them in the concept in the concept uh, in, in the context of the physiology. Questions to this point. The different types of energy. Chemical energy, we just talked about. Electrical. We mentioned sodium, potassium in the production of electrical impulse in the nervous system. Mechanical energy to move the muscles. We will study the muscles, uh, the muscular system and muscular physiology, and we'll see that the energy is used to, at the molecular level, move certain molecules that actually they physically move and change their configuration, their angle. And producing the, mus the muscle contraction. Or electromagnetic energy, waves like heat, ultraviolet, x-rays, consider also a type of energy. In, um, for instance, in um, treatment of cancer, sometimes we use, we use radiotherapy of different types. And those radiotherapy are waves, electromagnetic energy. But sometimes we burn the skin of the patient. It's a secondary effect. 
the skin is burned. You see the skin is burned when we apply radiotherapy to some region. And so that energy is turning into heat, and that heat is at some point burning the skin. So all the energy, different types of energy can be transformed into each other depending on the um, physiolo physiology or um, system. And this is what I was saying. Some energy is lost as heat. The conversion of energy is inefficient. It's inefficient. But where that energy, well, that energy that is released as heat, apparently lost, is not lost, is used to something else. And if we take the context of the body, the body is, the human body is in an environment and that environment will take that heat, that type of energy, and then will transform in other things. So at the end, the whole planet and even the whole universe has a determined amount of matter and energy that gets continuously transformed. And that's what the thermodynamics is, what I was saying. It's a little complex at some point because you start getting all these relationships and, and things that turn it a little hard to understand when we get to the deepest uh, of the, of the topic. But this is what we need to know and remember. The concept of energy and how the energy can be converted, can be used for many, many uh, things in our body. And the energy conversion is inefficient. Usually in our body we release that as heat. After we eat also, after we eat, what, we, what happens in the liver, chemical reactions to break down the carbohydrates, the proteins that we eat, and that releases heat. And thanks to that heat is that we have 37 degrees Celsius or 98.106 Fahrenheit, which is our normal body temperature. All right, so moving to the next part. Now study the matter. Concepts of atoms and elements. Elements are the minimal substance, I mean the substance that cannot be broken down by chemical methods. You perform a lot of chemical reactions, mixtures, etc., but you cannot go lower than the elements. That's the minimal. And as I was saying, there are some elements that we find in the body. Carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, and nitrogen. Four elements. We call them organic molecules. For instance, carbohydrates. Carbohydrates contain carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Proteins, amino acids, proteins, they contain carbohydrates, I mean carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen. Lipids or fats, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen. And you can mention, keep mentioning many other or, uh, compounds that are called organic because the presence of these, one of these or two or three or four of these. And then more elements, nine elements, eleven elements which are sodium, potassium, calcium, magnesium, I'll show you a list of what are those elements. And the eleven, eleven elements are also called trace elements, there are minimal amounts. You see the percentage, 0.01% of our body. And the elements, they, each element is different. They have units called atoms, which are the minimal, the smallest particles, the building blocks of that element. And thanks to these atoms is that each element has different properties, different chemical properties, different physical properties. We have the periodic, periodic table of elements where we have a whole list of all the elements. And even more, we know the atomic structure of each element in terms of the subparticles. Because we will see that the atoms, they have small, even smallest particles that are the components of these atoms. 
we see the periodic table, we'll see that each element has a symbol. Uh, we call that atomic symbol. One letter or two letters, combination of letters sometimes, um, that are used to name each element. Some simple are oxygen, O, carbon, C. What is the symbol for sodium? Na, you have it there. Natrium, which is a name in uh, Latin or Greek. Potassium, K for calium. It is sometimes it's not just the first letter. Potassium is not P. P is for something else, for phosphorus, correct? So you have to be aware of this. But we don't have to memorize the whole periodic table of elements. This is just study what are the elements that are the ones that we find in the physiology. And as long as we study and read what the symbols are and what they mean, you get familiar with them and you remember them. Well, these two tables are just a list of uh, those elements that we mentioned before, like these four make up 96% of the body. Oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen. And here is a list of some of the functions, like for instance, oxygen. Oxygen is needed for production of ATPs. That's what we call aerobic metabolism or aerobic respiration. We make ATPs because of the presence of oxygen. We need oxygen. The oxygen is used to produce lots of ATP, lots of energy that we need for different things. Carbon is basically structure. Carbohydrates, lipids, proteins, nucleic acids, DNA, RNA, they all contain carbon, hydrogen, um, and even nitrogen. And these are the elements that make up for about 4%. Here's what we find all this we were mentioning. Calcium, phosphorus, potassium, sodium, chlorine, magnesium, iodine, iron. So this is a very good list because in the whole physiology that we will study in each chapter, we'll mention some of them. And we'll mention chemical reactions related to them, some properties. For instance, sodium, we need to know that the sodium is present usually in the form of, the, of an ion or electrolyte, which has electrical charge, a positive electrical charge. And the trace elements, less than 0.01%, chromium, cobalt, copper, fluorine, manganese, molybdenum, selenium, silicon, vanadium, zinc. Things that we probably will not never hear about, but they are very small amounts. They usually are present in some chemical reactions. They are used as what we call cofactors for some chemical reactions. They help some chemical reactions to happen. They are called trace elements because they are very, very small amounts. Sometimes the deficiency of these uh, trace elements may give problems, like deficiency of zinc. Deficiency of zinc has been related to hair loss sometimes. Not always. It's not common. It's not like uh, someone is losing hair and someone says, oh, you have deficiency of zinc. No, perhaps you have something else. But it's sometimes related to this, in some rare cases. So let's see the structure of the atoms. Atoms are composed by three particles that are called subatomic. And you have it there, protons, neutrons, and electrons. Protons, you have a positive charge. We use this atomic mass unit and we say they have a unit, uh, atomic mass unit of one. It's completely arbitrary. We can choose this to make sense and try to make the balance 
and the mass of these uh, atomic particles. Neutrons, they have no electrical charge. They weigh one atomic unit, same as a proton. And electrons, the electrons are negatively charged. They have a negative charge. And they virtually have no weight. We assign zero as the atomic mass unit. How we understand the atom, we've never seen an atom, nobody has seen an atom ever. All these are just theories, theories, like after a very complex study and formulation of mathematical formulas and, and logics, they got to the conclusion that the atoms must be like this. And of course, some evidence uh, to prove this. But in the sense of seeing it, taking a picture of the atom, well, happen. But there are facts like this that are important to remember, like protons, since they have positive charge, it makes sense. They have to be balanced by the number of electrons. So the atoms are neutral. Same number of protons and same number of electrons. The structure of an atom, nucleus that is conformed by two particles, the protons and the neutrons. And the electrons, where they are? We, they are in an orbit. They are around the nucleus, very similar to a planetary system, like the sun in the center, or the star in the center, and around how many planets going around in orbit. Well, that's how the electrons, or how the atoms are understood. And actually, they give us two ways of understanding this, as the planetary model and the cloud or orbital uh, model. In order to understand, because one of the principles at this point in chemistry of the atoms and elements is that we cannot determine the exact position of an electron. We cannot say, well, the electron is here, because it's always going around, like in orbits, or like in a cloud. As I said, the planetary model is a very simple way to understand it. That's what we see in the illustrations, like planets in orbits, electrons in orbits with fixed circular paths. Again, this is just a model. It's a way to understand how the atom works or is. In the orbital model, they're actually the orbitals are regions. Regions, like I said, like in a cloud around the nucleus. What do you mean the cloud around the nucleus? Like, <coughs> you have the nucleus here. Planetary model tells you that the electrons are following an orbit, a circular orbit like this. Like that. But if you see this in motion, you have the nucleus, and you will have a round like this. All the electrons moving around. Like in a region, like in a cloud, you cannot see actually the electrons like dots. What is that noise coming from? Is a speaker? Yeah, and this is what I was saying, the cloud and the cloud orbital and planetary model. So how we identify the different elements? Because different elements have different atoms, and different atoms will have different number of particles. Like hydrogen has one proton, one, uh, no neutrons, one electron. Helium, which is a gas, has two protons, two neutrons, and two electrons. 
one thing you notice is that the number of protons is the same as the number of electrons. Because we say that they have to be balanced. The atom has to be well balanced electrically. Lithium, three protons, four neutrons, and three electrons. So all these numbers are combined in different ways in order to identify each element. And that's where the concepts come. Concept of atomic number, mass number, atomic weight, and what an isotope is. That's a representation in the terms of a planetary model of hydrogen, helium, and lithium. In red, you have the protons, same number as the number of electrons. The neutrons are different. The hydrogen doesn't have any neutron. Helium has two neutrons, and lithium has four neutrons. So let's see the concepts, atomic number, mass number, and weight. Atomic number is a number of protons. And we write it like a subscript to the left of the symbol. In the periodic table, whenever you use this nomenclature, you will see it like that. Like lithium, which has three protons, is represented like that. Atomic number, number of protons. Mass number is the total mass of an atom. We said before in one slide the electrons are considered to have no, practically no mass, no weight. So their mass number will be the total mass of the atom, protons plus neutrons. The number of protons plus neutrons will give you the mass number. And we represent it, we write the number, it's a superscript to the left of the symbol. In the case of lithium, will be as number seven. How awkward is that to get into a classroom that is not yours? remember the feeling. It'll happen to me sometimes. An atomic weight, average of mass numbers of all isotopes. What is that? Well, actually, these are the definitions of the atoms or the elements and how they are. But if we go to the nature and look for these elements, we'll find that they come in different and different, like, say, presentations. There are different variations of the same element. Some atoms contain the same number of protons, but they have different number of neutrons. Like hydrogen, all the hydrogen that is present in the nature, and the nature, uh, most of them are like the typical, we see there, one proton, one electron, zero neutrons. But some others, they have neutrons. Very small amounts of these types of hydrogen, they have one neutron. And same for the carbon. The carbon have uh, uh, 12, but there are other forms of carbon that have 14. Probably have heard of the, this test that was performed, was used for many years, and still used to date objects found, like in excavations and things. And we say, according to the test of carbon 14, this object has a thousand years, it's a thousand years old. Carbon 14. Because carbon-14 is an isotope, it's a variation of the atom of carbon, which has 12 neutrons, and it has 14. And if we take all this together and make an average of all the mass numbers of these isotopes, we get the atomic weight, which is a, it's not a whole number, it's a decimal number usually, like 12.6, 12.5, because it's an average of all the isotopes of that element.
Like the case of hydrogen that I was mentioning. The hydrogen, we call hydrogen one, remember the mass number here, one proton. Deuterium has two, one proton plus one neutron. Tritium has three, two neutrons and one proton. So these are the all forms of hydrogen that we find in nature. Of course, most of them, most of the majority is just hydrogen one. But there's still others. So if we want to determine the atomic weight, we have to make an average of all the mass numbers, and then we get usually a decimal number. The isotopes are important uh, because they are used in medicine. They are used in medicine for different for, for its properties. Well, the thing is this isotopes called radioisotopes is that they are unstable. They are supposed to be unstable because like let's take the carbon 14. The carbon, most of the carbon, they have 12 neutrons, but this carbon 14 has two extra neutrons. It's unstable because over the time the carbon 14 atoms tend to lose one neutron in order to be balanced with the number of carbon-12 in the nature. And that loss of neutron emits energy, a type of energy. And that energy is used actually in medicine. In studies of the thyroid gland, when someone has problems of the thyroid gland, we use, the thyroid gland uses iodine, one of the compounds that is in the list, iodine. Or if I want to assess how well the thyroid gland is taking the iodine that you're eating in your diet, what I do is I give iodine, but an isotope of the iodine, to the patient. And so the patient will eat that or drink, and the thyroid gland will take up that iodine. There is an isotope. The, uh, that iodine will be in the thyroid gland, and it will start sending radiation, emitting energy. And I can, with a special camera, detect that energy. And actually, I can see a picture of the thyroid gland. Because the thyroid gland is full of iodine. Some of the iodine is the isotope that I gave. And it starts releasing the energy that I detect with the camera. And if there's a tumor, I will see the shape of a tumor there. Because the thyroid gland is not taking the iodine uniformly. So, and other studies like one of them is called PET scan, PET scan, positron emission tomography. It's the same principle. We give glucose, which is a radio a link to a radioisotope. And that isotope starts emitting energy, and we take it with uh, special detectors um, and have images. There are special scanners to detect that energy, but that's the usefulness of the radioisotopes. But, not everything is perfect because this radiation, this energy that is released can be dangerous. Well, actually, we use this in treatment of cancer as radiotherapy. We use isotopes that re release energy and kill cancer cells, like in lung cancer. We use radiotherapy in that way. This is an example. This is a picture which is not well defined, but this is an example of a PET scan, positron emission tomography. What is this? Well, look at this. 18F. So the 18 is the mass number of fluorine linked to the glucose, fluorodeoxyglucose. So we give to the patient glucose, and the glucose is used by any cell of the body. Some cells will take more, like cancer cells that we may have in different parts of our body. So the cancer cells are hungry for glucose, and they take up more glucose, and that glucose is marked as an isotope. And after 60 minutes, we start getting these images. So you see here, the darker parts, spots. That means that's all cancer cells. Before chemotherapy, 
two months post chemotherapy and four months post chemotherapy, we see how most of these spots are gone after the treatment. That's the usefulness of the isotopes and uh, in treatment of cancer, for instance. So, very good tool to assess. Bio 28. Bio 28. Yes. A bunch of students who can't find their room today. Oh. Bio 28. Okay, thank you. Well, that explains the situation. Questions to this point. Atoms combine. When they combine, we have molecules. If different kinds of atoms combine, different elements, we have a compound. That's the difference between molecule and compound. For instance, that's the formula for glucose, C6H12O6. Six carbons, 12 hydrogens, and six oxygens. But if we say H2, or just O2, the molecules, because O2 means just two atoms of oxygen. Mixtures. To differentiate this combination at the chemical level, we have to differentiate this. Mixtures where the components are physically mixed, not chemically mixed. And we have three types of mixtures, solutions, colloids, and suspensions. We'll see some examples to get to get this concept better. Mixtures, physically intermixed, not chemically. Solutions, colloids and suspension. The solutions, the particles are very small. You cannot see it. Solutes are called particles that are mixed with the solvent, which is mostly the water. Like if you grab a bottle of water, mineral water, it has components there. They are, there are solutes. You cannot see it. If you um, put light through it, the light will not change afterwards. You don't see settled down, components settled down. No, it just remains like crystalline, like water. Because the solute particles are very small and are well mixed. Instead, the, col the colloids, the particles are larger. If you put light through it, you will see that the light will be changed afterwards when it goes through this uh, colloid. But you don't see settled down. You don't see particles at the bottom after some time. And the suspensions of particles are large, even larger. You are able to see the light will be changed when it goes through it, and the elements settle down like blood. Blood is a suspension. If you get a tube of blood, and you leave it on a tray on the table for six hours, you will see that all the cells go to the bottom part. And on the top part, you see fluid, which is plasma. So the difference is that these three, they are physically mixed mixtures, different than the molecules or compounds where they are chemically combined. These are just the definitions of the solute solutions. We would say it are homogeneous mixtures. There's a solvent, there's a solute. Some examples, um, blood sugar, glucose is a solute, and the blood plasma is a solvent. As well as the sugar or glucose, we have other components that are dissolved in the plasma, in the blood. 
transparent, transparent, you cannot see the solutes, and even gases may be dissolved. In the beginning I mentioned, we breathe the oxygen, the oxygen is dissolved in the blood. The gas may be dissolved in the fluid in the solution. Questions to this point? Okay, so now in order to review these concepts of atomic structure, I have some questions that here that I'm going to project on the screen. You're going to uh, answer these questions. You can work as a group on your tables and discuss the answers. Um, but you turn in your own individual paper, okay? And all the papers that you turn in, please, are uh, by this size. Don't turn like this size or even this size. Just all the papers of this size, okay? So I'm going to project those questions and give you like 10 minutes will be more than enough. And you turn in and we can have a break. You don't have to write the questions, just the answers. Thank you. 